Can you hear me in the back? I'm really excited to be here tonight. Uh, Marco had asked me to come preach, and uh, I've been at uh, the ICMC at the campus, campus conference up in Denver, and that was fantastic. And then I was up at the teen camp last, last week, and it's the first time I got to go to the LA teen camp, and that was amazing. Um, I, I, I helped with the senior camp. The seniors, they have a special track to get them ready to go to college. And I've just been having a great time worshiping God, fellowshipping, meeting new people, uh, seeing people's faith grow. In, in, the, in the class at the teen camp, for people who wanted to study the Bible to become Christians, there was 150 teenagers in there. And it was just phenomenal. And uh, it, it was a great time. A, a couple of things happened. You know, I'm getting a little older. I lead the campus ministry at UCLA. And a couple of the campus guys, Kenny and uh, Kendall, they're on the UCLA volleyball team. And they said, hey, let's play some volleyball. We're at the ICMC at 8,000 feet. All right, guys, I'll play with you. So me and, and, and them and three other guys, we, we start playing volleyball, and we, we play and we win and we play and we win and we play and win. And, and we want to disband and stop playing, but everybody wants to crack at us. And so literally, we played 12 games of volleyball. Uh, I was a little tired. And then I'm going back to my cabin about 10 at night, and I was getting about two to three hours of sleep at that time, and I was pretty tired, and I'm like, I'm going to have a good night's sleep, I'm going to have a quiet time to do tomorrow. And this guy, Chaz, this campus guy from Long Beach, comes up to me, and he goes, hey, we're going to go mountain climbing in the morning and watch the sunrise. Do you want to come? Inside, I'm saying, absolutely not. But out of my mouth came, sure, I'd love to. What time? Well, we got to go about six because, you know, to watch the sunrise. And there was, it's a beautiful, uh, Estes Park, Colorado is beautiful. There's like, you're in this huge valley with mountains all around you and rocks. And I, I, I wanted to climb one of those mountains and stand on one of those rocks and pray. And everything about me wanted to do it, but my legs at that point were toast. So anyway, uh, I go with Chaz and this other guy in the morning at 6 a.m. And we're, we're hiking up this mountain and I am sucking wind. Altitude, my heart's pumping. You know. And they're looking back at me and I'm smiling. You know, I don't tell them anything about the volleyball or nothing. I'm just, I can do this. One step in front of the other. And I get up to the top and we have just an incredible quiet time. We pray through Psalm 62. And literally, you know, kind of a couple inning prayer where somebody reads a couple verses, then you pray, then somebody else, then you pray. So you each pray two to three times. And by the second or third time I was praying, I just had to stop. I couldn't pray anymore. I was just in tears. That God created all of this. It's so unbelievable, and yet He loves us. But, you know, I, I stood the test. And then I go to team camp. And similarly, there's not much sleep involved in team camp. Um, I'm rooming with John Markowski, so we're staying up late at night talking about all kinds of cool stuff. He's a great guy. He got to preach up there at team camp. And uh, one of the days, this kid, Marcus, comes up and he says, Hey, Tony, you seem like a cool guy, you know, and you seem pretty spiritual. I'd love to have a quiet time with you. I'd be great, Marcus. And he's like, how about tomorrow morning? I'm like, okay, you know. And he goes, by the way, I'm a cross-country runner, and I'd love to run with you, then have a quiet time. <laughs> all right. And he says, what time? And I said, how about 6.30? He goes, nah. I'm like, what time? And he goes, how about six? And I'm like, inwardly, no way. Outwardly, okay. So we get up. I'm out in front of my room at six. I'm so tired. What am I doing? I just, if if he had a phone, I had his phone number, I would have canceled. But I didn't, he didn't. So I went. We went running around the camp. We got to the top of the mountain. We ran up the mountain. Ran. 
And I'm just dying. I'm like, why don't we stop here and pray a little bit? I couldn't run any further. So we pray a little bit on top of the mountain. Then we run around the whole camp. And we, get, and we, we, we pray through Psalm 103, a couple inning prayer. And at the end, his, the, the last inning of his prayer, he's like, and God, I pray when I get down this mountain, I can finish my studies and become a disciple. I was like, this guy called me to have a quiet time at 6 in the morning and run with me, challenged me to go earlier, and he's not even a disciple yet? But I stood the test. So I have survived the college students and the teens, so I'm not worried about you guys at all, all right? But uh, we're starting a new series today. It's, it's the action series from the book of James. And uh, I'm, I'm really honored to be able to kick off the series. Today we're going to go through James chapter 1. And James chapter 1, the title of the lesson today is Stand the Test. In James chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. You know who that guy is? Gladiator, right? What's his name? Maximus. And Maximus stood for something, didn't he? He was a great general. And then he stood for integrity and righteousness and he wasn't going to kill the Caesar and he was for his family and all these things. And the guy was awesome. He, he took a stand and I thought, what a great picture. That guy looks like a warrior, you know, but he took a stand. And James was the brother of Jesus. And I think it's interesting here that he doesn't say James, the brother of Jesus, the, the elder in the Jerusalem church. He doesn't commend himself at all. He says, James, a servant of God. You could translate that word servant or slave. And of the Lord Jesus Christ, say, man, I'm just a servant of Jesus. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. This is an interesting letter because it's not written to a church, church or to an individual. It's written to all the churches. To all the disciples alive at that time and our time as well. And if I'm thinking about James in Jerusalem, maybe when he started writing these things, maybe he was writing to a person or to a church. Maybe he was writing to the church in Colossae. And he's writing, he goes, you know, this might work for the churches in Galatia as well, and maybe the Corinthians, and I need to write it to everybody. And, and James writes this book, and this book is an incredible book, and it basically, it's the instructions on how to stay faithful. It's written to Christians throughout the kingdom, throughout the churches in the first century, about giving them the tools and the perspectives and the ideas and the spiritual insights to help them remain faithful. To make a stand. To stand for Christ and to die faithful. To the twelve tribes scattered amongst the nations and to the disciples in the South Bay of L.A. You know, Christianity is not just about starting the race. And I know we're so excited when someone gets baptized. And I'll never forget January 11th, three years ago, when my daughter got baptized. It was a glorious day in Manhattan Beach. Sunny day, 80 degrees, dolphin swimming. It was awesome. And I was so fired up she made a decision to follow Jesus. But a better day is going to be the day she closes her eyes, still faithful to God. And this letter is written to us that we can really understand what it takes to make it to the end. And I'm so grateful that James wrote this letter to us. In uh, James 1 and verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
as a young Christian, I got baptized in San Diego. I was a senior at San Diego State in 1985. And uh, some of the brothers were trying to teach me how to have a quiet time. And they said, why don't you take a book of the Bible and just read it as if it was written to you. And so I looked through the books of the Bible and found a really short one. I wanted to start too big. And so I picked James and I read this and I was blown away at this idea of considering it joy when you face trials. And when I was a young Christian, I had been part of a couple or visited at least some of the Christian organizations at San Diego State. So as a young Christian, I was determined to find out why a lot of these religious leaders of these organizations weren't teaching the Bible the way the Bible needed to be teach, taught. Teach, that's a good one. Taught. And so I was confronting the religious leaders at San Diego State, and I wasn't able to convince any of them. But I, I was like, why, why don't you follow the Bible when it comes to conversion? Why do you make something up? And where does this come from? And so anyway, I was going through some challenges. So I restudied all the series. I restudied all the scriptures on conversion. I read this book called Baptism in the New Testament. And I was reaffirming my convictions on what it means to be saved or how to get saved. But it was a trial. And I'm like, this doesn't feel very joyful. And here it says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you and me may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I look back on that, I'm like, wow, I really, I dug into the scriptures and I didn't just kind of believe how to become a Christian. Like, I knew it was from the Bible. My convictions became rock solid. I'm like, why did that happen? Well, maybe God was helping me to be more mature and more complete. And therefore, I look back on it, I'm like, man, I'm really fired up for those trials. And I look at all kinds of trials in my life, and generally all of them taught me something. If you make it through the trial, right, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? And that's what James is saying. Trials are a blessing. They produce perseverance, then maturity, then completeness. They, they empower us to stand any test. So after going through one, you're like, I can take on the next one. And so the trials in our life, the tests in our life, the temptations in our life, the discouragements in our life, the hardships in our life, God allows them to make us stronger, to mature us. You know, if you planted a, an orange tree, you got it from the nursery, and it's about three feet tall, and you planted it, and a year later it was still three feet tall, how would you feel about it? And after seven years, if it wasn't bearing fruit, how would you feel about that orange tree if it was still three feet tall? What's up with this tree? It's not growing. And I believe James is telling us, guys, that we need to allow, we need, don't just try to get rid of all the hardships and the trials, but to embrace them so that we can grow. A tree, it gets rain, it gets wind, it gets sun, it gets dry, it gets wet, all these different things. And as it does, the roots grow deeper and then it's able to grow taller. Because of the trials and the hardships that the tree faces. The same with us. James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generally to all, generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. We're going to look through James 1 and we're going to see some tests that God allows to help us mature. And really what we're going to look at is how am I doing with these particular tests? And we're going to evaluate these seven or eight tests and we're going to see where are we at? In our faith, how are we standing? Am I able to stand? How am I viewing? What's my perspective on these tests? And the first test is the test of reliance. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. You know, I think about it, when we face trials, what's generally the first thing we do? Complain. Right? We complain. We complain to people. And then the second thing we do is we tell people about it because we want sympathy, right? And then the third thing we do is we try to fix it on our own. And eventually, because we're so spiritual, we get to the point where we ask God. Who do we rely on? Do we rely on ourselves more or God more? Who do we go to first? We want sympathy. We want people to, to empathize with us. Oh, woe is me. Life's tough. We're not going to God. And then we talk to people before we talk to God. Why does God say He'll give generously to all wisdom? You know, if you're in sin, the Bible says if you're unrighteous, God won't answer your prayers. The Bible says if you're not considerate to your wife, God won't answer your prayers. So, so there's a lot of prayers that God won't answer if you're in sin. But if you're in sin, steeped in sin, and you pray for wisdom, He'll give it to you. You know why? Because hopefully the wisdom is going to lead you to following Him, right? So anybody can pray for wisdom. You can pray for wisdom all you want and God will give it to you generously without finding fault. You're like, I can't pray for anything because I'm in sin. No, you can. You can pray for wisdom on how to repent and God will bless you. But who do you rely on? And I put it before you. Our church has grown a lot in God reliance. But I don't think, when I read the book of Acts, that we are near as God reliant as they were in the first century. Somebody was asking, you know, if, God, if they were told they're going to Judea and then Samaria and the ends of the earth, why did they stay in Jerusalem so long? Why didn't they go plant churches? And I'm like, well, maybe they were praying for God to make it clear when to go. And this guy was trying to propose to me that maybe world evangelism isn't the call of God. And I'm like, well, maybe they were waiting for God to make it clear and they're praying about it. A persecution breaks out and they go. They're in Antioch. They hadn't planned on evangelizing all the Grecian world. And they're worshiping and fasting. And the Holy Spirit calls upon Barnabas and Paul to the first missionary journey. They were led by the Spirit. They were, they were in groups praying when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. They were praying in Antioch when the Holy Spirit called them out. I mean, literally, guys, these guys were reliant upon God. When they went to Philippi, they went outside the city to find a place of prayer. And they met Lydia, right? And later on, when they were going to the place of prayer, every church evidently had a place of prayer. Does your house church, does your ministry have a place of prayer? Do you pray together in groups? Are we reliant on God? Are we passing the test of reliance? Are we relying on God or are we relying on ourselves? I had somebody come up the other day and ask me for advice, and I'm saying, well, what do you think? I don't know, I want to know what you think. Have you prayed about it? Well, no, and I'm like, well, why don't you pray about it? See what God tells you, and then come back and tell me what you're going to do. He says, you're not going to give me any advice? I just did. I believe we can rely on God much more. We need God so much. He wants to bless us so much. I mean, when I read my Bible, I get faith. When I pray, my heart is connected with God. There's days where I just feel like I've done so much, I've served so much, I'm like a balloon ready to pop. And then I go and spend some time with God, and all of a sudden I just feel like an overflowing cup ready to give to everybody. Only God can fill me up. Only God can give me the energy I need to do what I do. How's your relationship with God? Are you passing the test of reliance? James 1 verse 6. 
But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all he does. Wow. You know, God wants us to believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So when we pray, if we doubt that God's there and that God exists, and we doubt that God wants to bless us, and we doubt that God is loving, we don't have faith. We're unstable. We're being tossed back and forth like a boat on the, on the ocean. Is that how your faith is? You know, Enoch was commended because he believed God existed. And he believed God would reward him as he earnestly sought him. How do you earnestly seek God? Well, you read your Bible. You pray. You pray fervently. You pray with people. You talk to people. You get open. Earnestness. Faith. You know, what is faith? Mark 11, verse 22 says, Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Believe that you have received it. Not, God, please help me. No, it's God, thank you that this is done. This is done. We're in the airport coming back from ICMC and Roddy Gonzalez was trying to get on a standby flight. And Cody and I were talking to him and he'd missed a few, two or three flights already. I'm not in standby. So they're like, we really want him to get on this flight. And they were talking to the people, you know, that try to help you get on flights. And I said, well, have you guys prayed about it? I said, no. I said, God, in Jesus' name, I pray that Roddy gets on this flight. He got on. So later on, I hear Cody talking about the story. He's like, Uncle Tony prayed this powerful prayer and Roddy got on the flight. I was like, I said a sentence. (laughs) But I believed it. God answers, God loves us. He wants to reward us. You gotta believe that what you ask for will be done. So we're, we're in, uh, Estes Park. And, uh, I've never been fly fishing before. So I had helped, uh, you can leave it on that. That's a great slide, by the way. Let's leave it there. So I'd helped a guy from Colorado go fishing out here and put him on a big Corbina a couple months ago. And he said, well, when you come to Colorado, we'll go fly fishing. And so he's gonna take me fly fishing. And so, um, we had about a half an hour to fish, to learn to fly fish and to catch a fish. Before I finish that story, I want to talk about Steve. Last time I was here, I threw him under the, under the bus, I mean the boat. No, he threw himself under the boat. No, he tipped over under the boat. But Steve here last week went fishing at, um, I forget where, where'd you go? Lake Casitas. And he caught a nine and a half pound Trophy largemouth bass. Look at that guy. Doesn't he look tough? Guys, if you don't know, that's a really big fish. And he had prayed before that he would catch a fish and God blessed him. And you may think it's kind of random. These guys are praying for fish. But I believe that God wants to answer our prayers and he wants to reward us. And Steve prayed to be rewarded and God rewarded him. He must be being considerate to his wife and being righteous. Because he wasn't praying for wisdom. He was praying for a fish. That's faith in action, right? One thing about faith in action, Steve's going to talk about it next week, faith in action together. Like, if you pray to catch a fish, but you don't go fishing, how are you going to catch a fish? You actually got to go fishing, right? Next slide. 
So I had 30 minutes to learn to fly a fish and to go fishing. And the guy took me out there. And he's like, we're probably not going to catch because we don't have that much time. And on my fifth cast, I caught a brown trout. There it is. It's a beautiful day up there. And I had no doubt I was going to catch the fish. Literally, I knew I was going to catch the fish because I prayed about it. And there was another guy he was teaching that was across the stream. And I didn't think he was going to catch a fish because I didn't think he prayed about it. And the guy that was guiding us, I didn't think he was going to catch a fish either because we didn't have a lot of time. Logically, we weren't going to catch a fish. But God goes beyond logic, doesn't he? Faith is believing you have received it. I thanked God for that fish before I caught it. Did you hear what I said? I thank God for the fish before I caught it. Isn't that what faith is? How are you doing in your faith? James 1, verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like the wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. The first test was a test of reliance. The second test was a test of faith. The third test is a test of perspective. Guys, we're in these bodies for a short time. If you don't have very much money, that's okay. God loves you. If you have a lot of money, that's okay. God loves you. But what the scripture is saying is, it's not about your money. You know, many people eager for money have pierced themselves with many griefs and wandered away from the faith. And for those of you guys that have really good jobs and you have a lot of money and you're trying to figure out what to do with it, you know what I say? Be frugal. Save it up. Go on a mission team. Go serve in Honduras. Go to the Philippines. Go do something for God. Use your money. Invite people over and evangelize them. Use your money and help the poor in the city. And the Bible says here that we're going we're gonna to be like a wildflower. You know how long wildflowers last? A couple days. The rain comes. The wildflowers come. They're beautiful. A couple days later, the, the heat scorches them and they're gone. He's saying, get some perspective. Our life is so much more than how much money or possessions we have. It's so much more than the shoes you wear, or the watch you have on your wrist, or your rings or your clothes. Yes, most people, what they love to do, you know, girls, it's shopping. Seriously. Spending money. You know, I'll tell you th- something about Starbucks. I can buy two cups of Starbucks for the cost of a bag of coffee, where I'm going to get probably, what, 30, 40 cups out of that? Which is smarter? Guys, I lived in the Philippines for three years. We are such a wasteful people. You know what matters more than wealth? is eternal life. And James is admonishing the church here to say, guys, it's about getting to heaven. It's not about what you have or what you want. What's your goal? Is your goal to get a better job or make more money or have a nicer car? I mean, really, what are you living for right now? Seriously, think about it. What is your ambition? What, where are your eyes looking? The Bible says the eyes are the lamp of the body, right? Where your eyes look, that's your motives, right? And if that light is darkness, how great is that darkness? What are you living for? Jesus, he, Jesus didn't even have a place to sleep. I got, I got enough. He's like, I got enough. I got God. Let's go camping. I mean, Jesus was a camper. Teen camp is nicer than where he hung out. The test of perspective. How's your perspective? 
James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. Now here's not really a test. Here's really the perspective of the whole chapter. I believe this verse is the central verse for the book of James. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. What he's saying is, persevere because you're going to get to go to heaven. And that heaven is going to be your crown. It's not an easy task. It will take everything you have. I've seen people become disciples and walk away from God. And this, in a crowd this big, you can look around at each other. There will be people in here that will walk away from God. Because on one of these tests, they will not take a stand. We need to persevere to get to the end. It's not going to be easy to make it. In Matthew 24, verse 12, next verse, it says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Are you going to stand firm to the end? The world's getting more and more wicked, and it says the love of most will grow cold. I'm not a mathematician, but that means that over half the people that ever say Jesus Lord won't make it to the end. That's my math. You can correct me later if I'm wrong. So I don't know about you, but there's a 49% maybe that, that make it, and there's 51% that aren't going to make it. And you've got a decision to make. Will you stand firm to the end? Will you be part of the minority, not the majority? The majority are going to walk. The majority are going to see these tests and say it's too tough. They're going to see things of the world more valuable than heaven, than things of God. What are you going to do? Is your love going to grow cold? Right now, think about it. Do you want to come to church and fellowship? Do you want to be giving? Do you want to reach out to people? Do you want to have people in your home? If you don't, your love is growing cold. And you better wake up. You better start having quiet times again. You better get with someone to have a chat and pray together. Because if your love's growing cold, you are on the edge of giving up. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Amen? I'll say it again. But he who stands firm till the end will be saved. It's not about becoming a Christian, guys. It's about dying a Christian. And these tests are real. I'm not up here talking about anything but your salvation. Your soul. James lays it out. One of the reformers tried to... He ripped this book out of the Bible. Didn't like it. The reformer, you know, they, they take Catholicism and say, that's not good enough. We're going to reform it. Well, this idea about having faith and action, rip that baby right out of there. You know, there's, there's a lot of theologians that believe this was originally a Jewish manuscript and they changed some of the lines to make it a Christian manuscript, which I totally don't agree with. The reason is because they don't want to follow it. I mean, this, this, this book goes right at you, doesn't it? Do you believe? Will you persevere? Will you have perspective? I mean, this thing, it's good. It's good stuff. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. You know, tests come. Temptation comes. Trials come, hardships come. You're going to go through all of them in your life. How will you stand? If you believe, if you don't have faith that God is a good God, 
And you think that when you're going through a hardship or a test or a trial, that God put that on you? You're toast. You've got to believe that that comes from the evil one. That comes from the evil within us. That comes from Satan. And that God may have allowed it so you can grow, but God is good. And you can reach out for God and he'll, He's got you. You reach out and there He is. God's good. And I think a lot of us, we, we, we grow up in this world where we where our trust was violated. Maybe our parents, maybe our brothers or sisters, maybe a classmate, a schoolmate, a teacher, an employer, whatever. And we've been hurt and our trust has been violated. And so we have a hard time believing that God's good, that He wants what's best for us. And when we get hardship or temptation, we're like, God's punishing me. And that's not it at all. God allows, He doesn't direct, He allows the temptations, He allows the hardships so we can grow. Because He wants us to be like a tree and grow and bear fruit. God is good. Satan is the deceiver. Next slide. Satan is the one trying to drag us away. When by our own evil desires we're dragged away and enticed. You know, a lion can run a hundred yards in a third of the speed a human can. Like 2.3 seconds, something like that. A hundred yards. If you're being chased by a lion, you're going to lose. They come in like this and they sweep you off your feet. They drag you away. Wipe you out. And the Bible talks about how Satan's like a lion. He's roaring. And, and he gives us some things to do when the lion comes. We can resist him. And what will happen? He'll flee, right? We can flee. That works too. But Satan's always going to try to drag us away and entice us. And it says sin... If we're dragged away and enticed, then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So here you are in the temptation phase and you're considering whether you're going to sin or not. And if you give in, you've sinned. And now you've sinned and you're thinking, am I going to sin more? Am I going to repent? And God will always provide a way out. But if you, if you decide to keep sinning, it says pretty soon sin can give birth to death. And we can die spiritually because of our sin. And we've all seen people do that, right? And then pretty soon they're like, well, I'm not sure that the Bible really is, you know, the Bible. I'm not sure I really believe it anymore. And they start to get all philosophical. You know, I don't believe the psychologists, the psychologists don't really agree that you should feel guilty about anything. So we shouldn't have, you know, the Holy Spirit wanting to convict me of sin, righteousness and judgment. That's not very healthy. So I'm not really sure I believe the Bible anymore. And they go off. Whether it's immorality or whether it's idolatry or whether it's greed, they go off to something. Justifying themselves, justifying that they've got this philosophical argument of why it's okay. And I don't know where you're at in your life, but if you're being tempted, you need to reach out for God to get some help. If you're in sin, you need to reach out for God to get some help. Because pretty soon, like this lion, he's wiping this, this wildebeest off his feet. The lion is not out to play with you, the lion's out to kill you. Satan is not out just to, you know, have fun with you and you think it looks good, it looks fun, oh great. Satan's out to wipe you out, to take you away, to, to destroy your faith. Satan's in our heads. The, the battle is a spiritual battle. Satan's spiritual. He gets into our heads and we've got to be on our guard. We've got to resist him. We've got to flee. God always provides a way out. Check out this verse and memorize it. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It's on the screen. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Guys, we all, you know, whenever anyone's tempted too, they feel like I'm the only one. You know, we have these D groups at team camp and people are saying, man, I, I realize I'm not the only one. 
We all have struggles. And it's so encouraging to know that we all get tempted, right? But, but we need God. We need one another. He says, He'll never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And if you believe God's a good God, you'll believe this. But if you believe, man, these troubles, these hardships, these tests, they're too much, I just can't do it. And you just give in. That could be the beginning of the end. You have to believe God is faithful. God is good. God always provides a way out. You've got to look for it. So, you're being tempted. What should you do? Have you tried praying? Helps. Reading your Bible. It's good. Calling somebody. Helps. Texting somebody. That's good. Email. Facebook. There's all kinds of things you can do to get out of your sin. You know, if you struggle with your computer, then don't have a computer in your room. Go to Starbucks and look at the computer. I don't know what it is that you're struggling with, guys, but Satan wants to get you and God wants to give you a way out. Amen? Don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all He created. You know what this is saying? This is saying God is good. He wants to give us good things. That means Satan's bad. He wants to take us out. And God is good. And He wants to help us. You need to stop believing that God is out to get you. He's not. God wants you to make it. He wouldn't have called you. You wouldn't be here unless God loved you. In your life you've been steeped in sin and yet God gave you grace and brought you here. And I really believe, guys, in our world, our trust is violated. And we start to think that God doesn't love us and God's out to get us and God is bad. He's not. He loves you. He loves you before you were a disciple and He pulled you out of sin. He loves you even more now because you've been trying to be a disciple. He wants to help you. He's there. You've got to reach out for Him. And James writes this letter to Christians to help them make it to the end. Because He wants people to make it to heaven. God gives good things. God's on our side. The battle's in our mind and we have to believe God is good. It's the nature of faith, isn't it? That God exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You've got to believe that God wants to give you great birthday presents and Christmas presents and, and spouses and children and, and blessings and, and even the trials that's for our good so that we can grow and mature and be ready for what Satan's going to throw at us. Rather than why, why is this trial and griping about it when you say, thank you God, I embrace this because I want to be better. I want to be ready for whatever comes my way. There's 6.9 billion people in the world now. Most of them lost. Most of them can't read. Tons of them in poverty. Guys, we live in a cush society. We live in a marshmallow society. I mean, tough for us is Starbucks opened at five minutes late. I got a flat tire. You know, I, I got bills to pay. Most of the world is lost. And we have the hearts, the energy, the time, the resources, the money to help be a part of evangelizing the world and getting people saved and getting people to, to stand firm till the end. And if you're not spending your time, energy, resources, whatever, about building God's kingdom, you've really got to think, am I standing these tests? My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The next test is the test of patience. 
Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Raise your hand if in the last week you said something that later on you regretted. Raise your hand if in the last week you got angry and afterwards you regretted getting angry. That's a good verse, right? We need this, right? Does that bring about the righteous life God desires? No! Get rid of all the moral filth and evil that's so present and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Patience! Guys, this world is... It's so evil. You can't turn on the TV. You can't go to the movies. You can't walk down the street. You can't go to the beach without sin staring you in the face. Guys, we need to patiently endure the challenges of life. And we need to be patient in communicating with one another. We need to share words that build each other up, not tear each other down. We need to watch what we say. You know, you can build people up and you can share good things and you can preach God's word and you can evangelize and all these words go for good. And in one sentence, you can destroy everything that you've done. Our tongues, we'll share about it later, but we've got to watch our mouths that we don't destroy people's faith by what we say. People look to you as a disciple. You've got to make sure that you watch what comes out of your mouth. Can you be patient with what you say? Moving on, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. This is a great verse. Because we look at the Bible and, and, and we got, we got to look at it and we get, need to, it says we need to look intently into it. How do you do that? When I read my Bible, if I write notes down, this means this to me. I read it again over and over again. I let it, I meditate on it. I let it marry. I let it sink in. And then I think, well, how can I apply this to my life? And I write it down and I pray about it. I go after it. That's how we're supposed to read the Bible. It's not just a book to be read. It's a book to be done. We should be living the thing. This, this is about our souls. I was talking with a guy last week and he's like, hey, I, I see that in the Bible, but I, I don't really agree with it. I don't know if I want to go to this church anymore because I don't really agree with following the Bible. It's God's Word. Either we're going to do it or we're not. If you do it, it says you'll be blessed in what he does. Happy, blessed, a full life. That's what's promised, right? Are we going to humbly accept the word, the test of humility? Are we going to humbly accept God's word or are we going to go by our own ideas? I mean, we've been alive for 20, 30, 40, 50 years maybe. God's been around forever. Like the brother said earlier, God's without time. There is no beginning and there is no end, right? You think God knows what he's talking about? If God could write one book and kind of give us an instruction for life, you think he might give us a book that works? And yet here we are debating on whether or not it works. And you know, honestly guys, if your job and your life is so busy you don't have time to read the Bible, your life is too busy. Think about your last week. How many times did you open the Bible on your own? The Bible blesses us. The Bible can change our lives. If you're not looking at the Bible, you can't look into it intently. The scriptures here are calling us to look into the word intently, amen? 
And the only way you really show humility is you trust God and you obey His Word. James 1.26 If anyone considers himself religious yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. The test of self-control. James 1.27 Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The test of compassion. How are you doing in your compassion? You're caring about the poor in L.A.? There's a lot of them. You're caring about the poor around the world? You're caring about the widows? You're caring about the orphans? Are you caring about the people who are lost? You know, I really want us as a church to grow in our, in our reaching out to the poor. And I really believe it's a way we can evangelize our communities because a lot of people that we're around want to help the poor. And I think as disciples, we're kind of obligated to set up the projects and create the opportunities for them to serve. And as they serve with us, I really believe they'll see us, they'll see our love for one another, they'll see our love for the poor, and, and they just might want to learn more about the Bible that changed our lives. It's so cool to go downtown and, with the campus students and feed the poor. It's scary, man. These guys are a bunch of drug addicts, crazy people, lunatics, cross-dressers. I mean, it's just crazy down there. It's scary crazy, but we're all together and we feed them and we care for them, and it feels so good afterwards. You just feel like you've done God's will. You know, I went through a couple tests here. Let's, let's wrap this up. Let's see what these tests are. Will you stand the test? The test of reliance, the test of faith, the test of perspective, the test of patience, the test of humility, the test of self-control, the test of compassion. It's a lot of tests in one chapter, right? And he allows these tests so that we might become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So together, guys, we need to make some decisions and convictions to, to stand up during the tests. We need to make some decisions to become mature and complete. We need to make some decisions because if we do, it says that it'll, there'll be pure joy. It's not about starting the race as a Christian. It's about finishing the race as a Christian. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I'm going to close with this, if we could advance the slide a couple. Paul was speaking with the Ephesian elders and he, he knows that his life is short at this point. And he shares this verse that to me is so um, meaningful. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. There's two things important to Paul. He says, I want to finish the race and I want to complete the task God gave me. And his task, he was an evangelist. He was an apostle, was to preach the word. Maybe your task is you're an encourager. Maybe yours is to pray for people. Maybe yours is to be generous. Maybe yours is to encourage. Maybe yours is to shepherd. I don't know what God, the gift God gave you is, right? But the bottom line is there's two things that are important. One, I'm going to finish the race. I consider my life worth nothing and nothing else matters. I'm going to finish the race. And I'm going to complete the task the Lord gave me. And basically what he's saying is, let's all stand the test. Thank you very much.